Welcome to the Resurrection Church Podcast. Resurrection Church exists for the glory of God and the joy of His people. If you're looking for a church in the upstate of South Carolina, please join us 9 and 11 a.m. on Sunday mornings at 900 North Main Street in Greer, South Carolina. We pray you'll be blessed by this message. It's Luke 18, starting in verse 15. It says, now they were bringing even infants to him that he might touch them. And when the disciples saw it, they rebuked them. But Jesus called them to him saying, let the children come to me and do not hinder them. For to such belongs the kingdom of God. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. And the ruler asked him, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments, do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, do not bear false witness, honor your father and mother. And he said, all these things I've kept from my youth. When Jesus heard this, he said to him, one thing you still lack Sell all that you have and distribute to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And come, follow me. But when he heard these things, he became very sad, for he was extremely rich. Jesus, seeing that he had become sad, said, How difficult it is for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. For it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Those who heard it said, then who can be saved? Then he said, what is possible with man, what is impossible with man is possible with God. And Peter said, see, we have left our homes and followed you. And he said to them, truly, I say to you, there is no one who has left house or wife or brothers or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God who will not receive many times more in this time and in the age to come eternal life. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thank you, Stephen. Yep. You can be seated. You enjoyed the Stephen show to this point. Thank you, Stephen. And thanks to the whole worship crew this morning. Excellent job. Can you appreciate them this morning? My name is Stan. I'm one of the elders here. In fact, today I'm the only elder here. Well, there's Bradley still hanging out in the back. So uh, in just a minute, he's going to go over to the brand new uh, church at Greer Station, which is now called what, Bradley? Ridgewood Ridgewood Church. And he's going to help them celebrate their new building. And uh, I'm sure he's lurking in the back to see how I'm going to get this started. And uh, I'm going to delay that for a little bit. So he's kept in more suspense. Uh, I want to welcome you if you're visiting, and uh, and church, can we welcome our, our visitors as well this morning? And visitors, if you're happy that I didn't have you all stand up so we could come shake your hand, uh, you can come thank me after church. I'd love to meet you for that, if for no other reason than for that. Uh, we do teach a class here called Discover Res. If you are new here or visiting, we'd love to have you in that class. It starts next week, and it's my uh, sworn duty to uphold the fact that I must announce that every time I'm up here. So uh, next week we'll have it in the um, activity center. 
during second service. We would love to see you there. And uh, so now I'm going to get into uh, our text, but I'm going to need some help today. So I'm going to ask uh, the Holy Spirit to come and help me uh, teach this to the best of his ability, not mine. Okay, so will you pray with me? Father, um, we read these passages, and the danger is that they are so familiar to us that we see headings in our Scripture, we gloss over it, we think we know what this says, but there is so much more depth here than what we could ever imagine. And Father, each time I've gone through this passage, I keep seeing more. Help us to dig deep today, to go deep in the mine of treasure that is your kingdom and the value of Jesus in our lives. I ask you to speak through me and for me. In Jesus' name, amen. So um, let's... I think we've been we've been going through Luke, of course. I hope you know that, and we're eighteen, almost through with eighteen chapters. And I think it'd be good for us to just pause for a second and kind of recap what we've covered to this point. Of course, early in the Gospel of Luke, he talks about the birth and everything that surrounds that, and then we get into Jesus's teaching. And um. Early on in that, as he's walking with disciples, the call is rather gentle, right? It's, it's let's demonstrate a little bit as to who I am. Let's teach a little bit to who I am and call them along. Can you, can you take this next step with me? Can you follow along with what I'm revealing to you? A little step of faith. And he, he continues with that with a little more demonstration and a little more calling and a little more, let's take another step. Can you follow along with this? Will you, will you go a little farther with me? And then in chapter 9, he gathers the 12 and he sends them out. He gives them authority to cast out demons and to heal people and to proclaim that the kingdom of God has come near, Right? Some demonstration and some proclamation is there. He's now giving them authority to do. And at this point, there's a little bit of a flip in the script, right? Jesus now comes and says, If you're not for me, you're against me. It's not come a little farther, it's we've demonstrated enough, we've come far enough that you should know who I am now. And if you're not for me, you're against me. The kingdom is good news, and it's breaking in, but do you see the value here? Do you see who I am? And he also starts to make his way towards Jerusalem. That transition is now taking place. He's working his way toward Jerusalem to do what? To do what he came to do, to pay for our sins, All right? Now, then chapter 10 happens, 
he sends out the 72, once again, with authority to heal and to proclaim the kingdom is coming. And at this point, there's a significant drop-off in miracles from Jesus. Not, they don't go away completely, but they drop off. And the next several chapters, are the teaching really ramps up. For instance, just so some highlights. Chapter 10, we get the story of the Good Samaritan. Chapter 11 is the wonderful teaching on prayer that we spent a month or so on. Chapter 12, he teaches about anxiety. Chapter 13, he talks about the narrow door. Chapter 14, the wedding feast and the great banquet. Chapter 15, lost things, the lost sheep, the lost coin, and the lost son. Chapter 16, the rich man and Lazarus. Chapter 17, the coming of the kingdom. And chapter 18, we've just had the story of the Pharisee and the tax collector praying. Lots of teaching. And I think it's good to remember who Luke is, right? Who's writing this gospel account? Who is he? He's not, Luke, first of all, is not Jewish. Did you know that? He's a Gentile. And he's not writing from an eyewitness account. Do you understand that as well? Luke is gathering these stories from people he's been taught from, people who were there, and he's assembling this book together that we now know as the Gospel of Luke. If you look at the very first four verses of this Gospel, it says this, and I think these will be on the screen for you. Luke says, "...inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us, just at those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word have delivered them to us, it seemed good to me also, having followed all things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theopolis." that you may have certainty concerning the things you've been taught. So Luke is writing from a secondhand account for this gospel. Now, that changes as he continues his writing in the book of Acts. He writes the book of Acts also to Theopolis, but it's more of a firsthand account because he's there for a good bit of it, right? He's following Paul on missionary journeys. He's a physician, okay? I think that's important as we lean into the recap of where we've been, coming to understand who Luke is, and on the heels of hearing in verse 9 of the chapter we're in today, he also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Now, Luke's certainly trying to put things in chronological order, but he also gathers topics together, I think. If you, if you look at these, there's not much of a chronological stamp on the stories that are in chapter 18, but they all are grouped together, I think, for a purpose. Now, on the heels of that, after Luke 18, verse 9, he starts 
with the story of, everybody look up here, don't look at your Bibles, what is the name of the story that we're about to talk about? Not the babies, we're going to get to the babies in a second. The rich young ruler, isn't it interesting that you said the word young? Why did you say young? Luke does not mention his age at all. Why do we call him young? Okay, I'll let you off the hook. We call him young because in Matthew's account, he mentions his age. He's also tells the same story, and he mentioned that he's a young man. But why is that significant? Well, it's significant because he's a ruler and he's young. Probably a member of the Sanhedrin, probably a Pharisee, but he's young and he has this seat of authority. How did that happen? Well, how this normally happened was these seats were allowed to be inherited from his father. Now, with that in mind, do you see how his question now comes into play? Because he uses some interesting phrases. Now, remembering 18.9, he tells this parable to some who trusted in themselves, not that and their own righteousness and treating others with contempt. And he approaches Jesus and he says in verse 18, and a ruler asked him, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. Now, let's look at a few phrases. Good teacher. He calls him good teacher, addresses him like this. This is not a common phrase or common greeting, okay? And it's kind of filled with a little bit of flattery, all right? He's approaching Jesus to butter him up a little bit. And then he asks the question, what must I do to inherit do to inherit. What do you have to do to inherit something? You just have to be born into a family, right? You get the inheritance that comes to you from your parents. What do you do to do that? Well, normally you don't do anything, right? It's a strange question. But what he might have in mind is what he did to convince his father to allow him to inherit this seat as a ruler. A seat, by the way, where he probably gained his wealth and probably not in the most honest way. So we have this situation here. He's asking Jesus, how can I improve what I'm due? He's showing his arrogance. He's showing his pride. He's showing his, he's, he's flattering Jesus, all rolled up into the question. And Jesus cuts right to the heart of the matter. 
Why do you call me good, he says. No one is good except God alone. Cuts through his flattery, asks him, why are you calling me good? Do you believe that I'm God? Do you understand who I am? Are you seeking my kingdom or are you trusting in your own righteousness and treating me with contempt? Or, as we like to say in the South, are you just blowing smoke up my robe? Some of you, that went right over your head. Okay, I'll move on. All right, verse 20. Sorry, I lost my spot. You know the commandments, Jesus says, do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, do not bear false witness, honor your father and mother. Jesus holds up the law, right? And the law is used as a mirror. We look at it with our own reflection in it and see how we measure up. Now, we tend to think of our sin as not all that bad compared to others. Like, let me, let me give you an example of how we kind of view our sin, but how we should see it. Let me ask a question. If I tell a lie to my granddaughter, what will happen to me? Nothing, right? But if I tell a lie to my wife, what's going to happen? Best case scenario is I'm sleeping on the couch, right? If I tell a lie to my boss, I could get fired. I could lose my job. If I tell a lie to the government, I could go to jail. Now, I've committed the same sin, but what happened to the ramifications of that sin? They escalate every time. Why? Because of the authority of the one of whom I sinned against. And when you tell your white lie in front of the perfect, righteous, holy, just God of the universe, it deserves an eternity in hell. And we, we tend to dumb it down, okay, we tend to say, well, it's just not all that bad. Everybody does this, right? Well, let me ask you a question. How many lies have you told? And what do you call people who tell lies? Liars. How many things have you stolen? And I'm talking about insignificant value, right? Change from your parents' purse when you were a kid. Time from your employer on YouTube. What do you call someone who steals? A lying thief. Don't forget the first one. Have you always honored your parents? Have you ever sassed them? Not done what they asked you to do. 
stole change from her purse. Have you ever murdered anyone? Well, of course not. None of us here would have done that. But remember, Jesus said, if you are unjustly angry with someone, you've murdered them in your heart. Do you see the bar being raised here? Have you ever committed adultery? And remember, Jesus said, if you look at another with lust, you've committed adultery already in your heart. Guys, we've only looked at five of the ten. How are we doing? And the rich young ruler in verse 21 says, all these I've kept from my youth. Do you understand the irony here? He approaches Jesus, what must I do, good teacher? Why do you call me good? No one's good except God. He lists off five of the commandments in the law, and he says, I'm good. I got this. No worries. I've kept all this since I was a kid. Really? Really? The arrogance and the pride. Me too, he says. Maybe I've lied. And I was telling that lie so I wouldn't hurt someone's feelings. Anything I stole was of insignificant value. Or Sure, I sassed my parents, but all kids do. And being angry at someone is certainly better than pulling the trigger. God made me human. Of course, I notice. Don't ever read Scripture and make yourself to be the hero. God will not have it. And in verse 22, Jesus, when he heard this, he said to him, one thing you still lack, sell all that you have and distribute to the poor. You'll have treasure in heaven and come follow me. One thing, one thing, so close but so far off base, sell everything that you have. Remember the greatest command? To love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. Give it all away. We talked about how Jesus has been teaching in this part of Luke. Remember his words, Luke 14, 33. So therefore, any one of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. In Luke 16, 13, no servant can serve two masters, for he will hate one and love the other. He'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Now, you have to ask the question, is this a call for all of us to sell all that we have and give it away? Maybe. Maybe. Maybe not. But how can you know? How much anxiety do you feel about this? How much worry do you have over your next paycheck? How much Worry do you have over your retirement? 
that could be an indicator that maybe this stuff is too important to you. Could you do it? If Jesus came and said, sell it all, give it to the poor, and follow me, how do you see and how do you value Jesus? I was reminded last week when I was getting ready for this of Psalm 63, verses 1 through 4. I think they'll be on the screen for you. Oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you. As in a dry and weary land where there is no water, so I have looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and glory, because your steadfast love is better than life. My lips will praise you, so I will bless you as long as I live. In your name, I will lift up my hands. Do you see Jesus as more valuable than your life, your stuff, your family, your friends? And then he says, follow me. I'm asking you to give all this up, but I'm giving you something so much greater. Exchange the lesser for the greater. Remember, to this point, the proclamation has been the kingdom is near. It's in your midst. Will you force your way in? Will you do whatever it takes to enter the narrow door? The invitation is here, and it isn't to eternal life. You can't skip the line to get in. You can't have eternal life without the kingdom. You can't have the kingdom without a king. The only way we'll forsake our things is if we value him more. And discover it, I know this is hard. I know, I feel it. It's heavy in here. But in Discover Res, week four, I'll give you a little bit of a spoiler alert. I tell a parable, and I say it's a parable because it's, I set up a story where I'm really in the wrong, and people get mad at me, but it didn't really happen, okay? But it, let's just cut to the chase. I ask the question, why do you want your sins to be forgiven? And there's really bad answers to that. There's horrible answers to that question that we think are good answers. So if I've offended Pam in some way and I need to ask her for, to forgive me, there's really bad answers for me to want that. And one of them, and I'll say it gently for the younger ones in the room, is because if I don't ask her to forgive me, I'm not getting any sugar tonight right? You understand what I'm talking about, adults? Okay, good. We'll move on. Now, there's nothing wrong with that, me wanting that. But if that's my motivation to get her to forgive me, there's something twisted in that response, and you feel it. You know it, right? Why do I want Pam to forgive me? Because I want her I want her. I want to see her smile. I want to feel her embrace. 
I want the relationship restored. That's my motivation to ask her to forgive me. Why do you want your sins forgiven? So you can go to heaven? You can have a great life here, skip the line and go to heaven? No, I want him. He's the value. He's the treasure. He's what I want, and I'll give it all up if I can just have Jesus. Oh, the ruler is sad. Let's continue. Verse 23. When he heard these things, he became very sad, for he was extremely rich. Jesus, seeing that he had become sad, said, How difficult it is for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God, for it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. He's rich and he's sad. And Jesus says how difficult it is for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Again, notice he's saying the kingdom of God, not eternal life. He wants him to enter the kingdom. The invitation is for now. Enter the kingdom of God. Follow me. And he makes this strange statement. It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Have you ever heard it taught that there was a gate in Jerusalem called the needle's eye? You've heard this? And it was supposedly a strategic gate, right? So that if you're traveling at night, you could come to the city and you could still get in. You could bring your camel to this gate, unload it, get it on its knees, get it to go through this gate. Then you could drag your stuff in, reload it, and be on your way, right? So you could get in, but it would be a terrible place if you were attacking the city to come through. So it kind of kept people safe, right? You've heard this. It's hogwash. It didn't exist. There's nothing in Scripture that backs that up. There's nothing in archaeology or history that backs this up. And aren't you glad that it's not true? Because if you heard Jesus say, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God and it existed, you would say, well, at least it's still possible. I'll unload my camel when I get to the pearly gates and we'll crawl through together. No, Jesus is using the absurd statement to show you the impossibility that you can't get in on your own merit. It's absurd and it's meant to be absurd. Camels do not go through Needle's eyes. Unless you've got a really tiny camel. And... No, they don't. It doesn't work that way. You know it. And all the disciples and those who heard it got it. Because look at the question that comes in verse 26. And those who heard it said, then who can be saved. They got it. What hope 
do we have? Let's face it. If it's up to us, we're doomed. We're all like Paul in Romans 7, coming to the end of himself when he cries, wretched man that I am, who will save me? Who will deliver me from this body of death? But, (laughs) thank God, verse 27. But he said, what is impossible with man is possible with God. Jesus says, I got you. And again, like Paul, we cry out in the very next verse, thanks be to God. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. It's impossible with us, but nothing is impossible with God. In verse 28, Peter chimes in. And Peter said, see, we've left our homes and followed you. Peter's thinking, what about us? We've left our homes for you. What's at the core of this question? What's Peter really asking? Are we good? Have we, have we made a mistake? Is this, is this going to pay off? Or have we really valued you as we should? And then notice Jesus' response. Verse 29, And he said to them, Truly I say to you, there is no one who's left house or wife or or brothers or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God who will not receive many times more in this time and in the age to come eternal life. Notice the list that Jesus gives, the treasures that he lists. This sets everyone in this room on a level playing field. The riches of this world listed here, which are yours? House, wife, brothers, sisters, parents, children, Think of the blessings and the riches that God has placed in our lives. And he says, if you've given up any of that, if you're called, would you make the exchange? Would you leave them to follow Jesus? This is hard teaching. We see this story and we just gloss over it like, oh, it's that rich young ruler story, right? But it's got such deep conviction in it. Can you lay them aside for the kingdom of God? Are Jesus' words ringing in your ears right now from Luke 14, 26? If anyone comes after me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters. Yes, and even his own life he cannot be my disciple because your steadfast love is better than life. My lips will praise you. These are hard, hard words. 
but they come with a guarantee. You will receive many times more in this time. What does that mean? We need to know what this means. Simply this, if you pursue the kingdom, you'll get it. Now, the kingdom, now you'll receive many times more. At all cost, you'll receive it. Push your way in. It's yours. And the joy of it will be almost unbearable unless you share it with someone. The best part about kingdom life is sharing it with someone else. How much joy do you get when you see someone else, the light turn on and the kingdom comes and breaks in their life and they believe for the first time? Or you see someone healed from something, whether it's an addiction or an illness, the joy that reverberates throughout your soul is unbearable unless it's shared. You'll feel like you'll burst if you don't praise him. This is why, church, it's so important that this time is kept sacred, that you come together as a body of believers to worship and praise because you're encouraged and those who see you here are encouraged. This should be a non-negotiable you have to have it. And when this life is over in the age to come, eternal life. Kingdom in its fullness. But you ask, Stan, what do babies have to do with this? And I'm glad you asked. See, if this church knows anything, it's about babies. Right? We've got about 20 new ones already here. We've got about 20 more on the way. The elders have been launched an investigation to see if the new communion bread has anything to do with this. All I can tell you at this point is proceed with caution. Verse 15. Now they were bringing even infants to him that he might touch them. And when the disciples saw it, they rebuked them. Oh, who wouldn't want that? He's hanging out, and parents are bringing their infants to bless them. And who wouldn't want that? Well, the disciples, apparently, because they start rebuking the parents. Let's keep reading. But Jesus called them to him saying, let the children come to me, and do not hinder them. For to such belong the kingdom of God. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. Jesus pulls the disciples to the side. I think he does this so he doesn't upset the children, and he doesn't upset the parents, and says, look, Guys, you're missing something here. This type of person, an infant, is such as these that the kingdom belongs to. What is he saying? 
it's infants that get the kingdom. Receive it like that. Totally dependent, completely helpless, crying for comfort, for nourishment, for warmth, for shelter, for safety. You can't even come to anything on your own. You can't walk. You can't crawl. And if you try, you will fail on your own. Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? See me as your greatest treasure and depend on me for every waking moment of your kingdom life. Great challenge with the only response that we could ever hope for. Total dependence on Jesus for our life in the kingdom. I've shown a video to a few of you already, but there's a there's a pastor in I think he's in Ohio. His name's Alistair Begg, and I just love to listen to him because he's from Scotland. <laughs> he has the greatest accent, and he tells a story. His version of the thief on the cross. How did he get? To heaven. You think about that. How did he, uh, he said he talks about how he's he's walking around in heaven and people are angels come up to him and say, Well, how did you get here? And he's like, I don't know. He's like, What do you mean you don't know? He's like, I don't know. And the angel says, Well, what how did this how did this come to be? Let me go get my supervisor angel. And the supervisor angel comes and he says, uh, we just have a few questions for you, sir. What is your stance on justification by faith alone? And the guy says, I don't know. Never heard of this. What about the Trinity? I have no idea what you're talking about. Sir, how did you come to be here? The man on the middle cross said, I could come. The only justification when you reach eternal life cannot start with because I, but because he. Because he said I could come. I hope if you're new to us, you haven't been given over to Jesus. You've heard something that sparks something in you that some light is going on right now that says this Jesus is to be reckoned with. I would love to talk with you after this service. Let's pray together. Father, your son come, came to do the amazing. And we look at him and we are in awe. We have no idea why he chose us. We're so thankful. Father, if there's anyone here who's had that light turn on, Father, I pray that you would complete that work in them, that you would 
shine the light of the glory of the gospel in the face of Jesus Christ in their hearts so that they could see with fresh new eyes and a new heart drawn to your son to see him as the most valuable thing. Father, we love you. We need you. We praise you. We give you all the glory. In Jesus' name. Thank you all for coming today. You are dismissed. We hope you've been blessed by this message from Resurrection Church. Please visit resfaith.com. That's R-E-Z faith.com where you can find more sermon archives, learn more about our church, and find a place to give to our ministry. We'd be glad to hear from you. Drop us an email at connect at resfaith.com.